0: Well, good morning, everybody. You know, I thought, man, the sun is shining. People seem really happy to be here this morning. Let's just ruin all of that and have a nice depressing video clip to get started this morning. That sound like a plan for everybody? Good morning. My name is Andy Hermanson. I'm part of the staff here at Hope Des Moines, and I am glad you're here. Uh, I hope you are, too. It is a great day to worship. Amen? Amen? Amen. And we're excited to jump in, and I I thought I'd start with that nice, comedic, you know, lighthearted video clip this morning, uh, because I thought, well, why not? Why not? And some of you are like, why did we come here this morning, right? Is this going to be a depressing sermon or what? And given the topic that we're talking about, uh, that is suffering, and why does God allow it, uh, I thought of this movie, Patch Adams, and many of you probably saw that movie, it, I feel like I'm getting older. I saw that was over 10 years old, and I was like, whoa, it's like 15 years old. Uh, And I remember when that movie came out. But I remember being struck by just the sadness in that conversation, right, where he's in this moment, and he's saying, why, God? Why, God? And he's got some zingers there. I thought he's pretty good about letting God have it, right? But depending upon where you're at in life right now, maybe you can relate to that. Right? And if we go through all of our stories, I'd be willing to bet that almost all of us in this room today can point to a, God, a, a time in our life where we've been angry at God, we've been asking this question, why? But I love what Robin Williams' characters models for us there and what it looks like to have the kind of relationship with God where we can be open and we can be honest and we can tell God, this is how I feel. And that's what I love about that clip. What bugs me about that clip is how it seems on the turn of a dime, he just sees this butterfly, right? And it seems like things begin to already get better. And I don't know about your experience, but in my life, it, my heart doesn't heal that quickly. And there's a lot to the movie, and you'd understand the significance of it if we had time to, to watch the whole thing, and I'll let you do that on your time. But Robin Williams' character is in a struggle. He's in a struggle. His girlfriend, uh, is, he's mourning the death of her uh, she was killed by a patient she's working with, somebody who's mentally unstable in an institution, uh, and they're trying this new idea of therapy, like getting to know the person and trusting them, and it ends up uh, getting her in trouble. And so Robin Williams' character, this woman that he loved, is gone, and he's left asking God, Why? And I think we have to acknowledge the fact, though, that that clip is a little too succinct if we want to look at it out of context. Our hearts don't heal that quickly. So we're doing a sermon series. We're wrapping it up today, actually, and it's called Five Challenging Questions for the Church. And I was thinking about it this week, and I started looking at these. Do you realize, right, I'm only preaching one message in this whole series. Do you realize that I got the only question that is not a yes or no question, Right? It's the one that is open-ended, that is really challenging to answer. And I think that's why they gave it to the guy with the glasses, right? The glasses, the, the most intellectual, the smartest. I'm not, I'm not sure if I have that going for me, but it's a big question to answer, isn't it? Right? Why does God allow suffering? And I don't have to tell you about suffering and that it's everywhere. I mean, we're going to acknowledge that here in just a moment, but apparently we like to save the best questions for the last. Amen? Amen, right? Today's question, why does God allow suffering? I would really like to know, and I've been wrestling with that uh, this week, ever since I found out that I was going to talk about this, and I feel like God's given us some answers, but the thing I want you to know this morning is we can't tackle this entire thing in a 30-minute conversation. And here's the thing, even if I did have a nice, neat, clean package answer for you this morning, I wouldn't trust me, right? I, I wouldn't... Trust anybody that thinks that they can figure this out in a nice, neat, little rational explanation. We see things all the time that make no sense to us. And so we're left asking this question. Why does God allow suffering? And I'm glad to be a part of a church that's willing to wrestle with these tough questions. And I hope that you are too, because there are people all around us dying to know the answer to this. And they're dying because they can't seem to find a way to put their faith in a God that seems disconnected from the suffering of this world. There's no way that we can cover this, but as we get started this morning, uh, I want you to know that, and I also want you to know this. I want to acknowledge that in this room here this morning, we have people that aren't just thinking of suffering as some distant thing once upon a time, but it's right now, and I want to acknowledge that, and I want to tell you, if you're hurting this morning, and some of you I talk to and your stories, it's powerful, and I'm so sad that you're going through what you're going through, but here's what I want you to know this morning as we get started. You're in the right place. Amen. You are in the right place place. Jesus says in uh, Matthew, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. Jesus, we, he's known as the great physician, the great healer. He's here for you this morning. It may not be the kind of healing that you're looking for particularly, but he's got some sort of healing that he wants to do today. And the other thing I want you to know, if you're going through suffering this morning, if you're just wondering, if you're in the situation where you're asking those questions, why God? Right? I want you to walk away if you hear nothing else. I want you to know that God is for you, Jesus says so in John 10, 10. And if we could jump to the words on there, I want us to read it together because there are times in life where we have trouble understanding this. But this is one of Jesus' ways of articulating his mission statement. He says this to his disciples. He says, let's read it together. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And yet sometimes that's a challenging thing for us to believe. I want to tell you this, and I'll say it multiple times this morning. If you're here and you're hurting, tell somebody about it. Don't walk through this alone. In fact, we're going to have prayer partners up here after the service. Come and talk to them. They sign up for that crazy job because they love watching God bless people. We're just the people, even as pastors here on staff, we don't have any special gifting that nobody else has. We just have, are lucky enough to get a front row seat to watching God change lives for him to do the healing, but there's no reason that you need to be walking through suffering alone. Let this community become extended family for you. And we can all pretty much assume that there's hurting people in this room today because all of us have seen it in the world, right? We've seen the, the fact that this world can be broken, it can be messed up, it can be wild, it can be unpredictable, and that's why in Romans 8, Paul says right? All creation is groaning. He said, as Christians, we groan because we think, man, there's this healing and it's out there and we've seen it, right? We've tasted the goodness of God. We know that he's trustworthy and yet we're stuck with all of this stuff and we wonder why it's here. And I saw it this week, even the last couple weeks as I've been watching the news, just talking to people, right? I mean, we still have a couple hundred schoolgirls in Nigeria that are being held captive. What's God, where's God in that? Right, this, this week, maybe it was a, a week ago, my wife brought me this story from CNN about this three-year-old boy that died. His mom came home and found out that he had died, get this, because she left him alone for 20 hours. Wow. Right, same age as my little three-year-old that's running around, and sometimes I wish he'd sit still and worship, but I don't, I don't want to leave him alone for 20 hours. And you know what the mom said when the police got a hold of her? She said, "Boy, this isn't the first time Right? 20 hours she went to work and then she went to hang out with her boyfriend. And I think about this three-year-old kid wondering where his next meal is going to come from. And I think, why? Why, God? You don't need me to tell you that the world is a broken place. Right? I have a missionary friend from Haiti who's from Iowa but has been serving in Haiti. He's in Iowa City right now because he was, as he was doing his work, burned by a grease fire. My own son, we, we face medical challenges and we continue to struggle with this question, why hasn't God healed him? We see it everywhere, right? And it's not just in the big stuff, but it's the little stuff too, the tension that we feel in our relationships, right? When we're abandoned, when we get ditched, when, when things happen with people, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's you just feel really isolated, right? Some of you, as I've talked to you, you've shared with me the fact that you are stuck in jobs where you are oppressed and you feel taken advantage of and it just isn't working out. God sees that and that's suffering and there's a whole spectrum of suffering and I could go on and on but instead I want to pull you into the sermon right now and so we're going to go on a little adventure together. Uh, I want you to buckle up for this. We're going to do community time and the reason why we do this isn't to make you feel awkward, right? Isn't to make you uh, uncomfortable although I think that's part of growing in our faith. No, we do this because we need to share our stories with each other. If you don't come to church and you don't walk away having connected with someone, then I wonder if we've missed the point. So you can get up, and when I say go here in a minute, you can get up, and you can go talk to somebody completely across the room. You don't have to move. You can sit next to the person. If you want to go and hide in the bathroom during community time, you can do that, okay? (laughs) We're doing this for a good reason, though. It's because we're the body of Christ, and it's part of it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody that you don't know, especially if you're feeling really risky, Right? Find somebody you don't know and answer this question. Right? What was a tough time in your life? I want you to share that with another person. I'm only going to give you three or four minutes to do this, so don't, don't be a, a conversation hog and talk the entire time. Right? But, but be honest. What has suffering looked like for you? And if you can't think of anything personally, a lot of times we try and minimize the suffering in our own life. But what do you see around you, if nothing else? Okay? Got it? If you, got it, say, if you get it, say got it. All right, on your marks, get set, go. Okay, let's pull it back together. Come find your seats. I know we do this so you stay around and connect with people after the service. So here's the thing. All of us can relate this idea of suffering and it's happening, but the question still remains, why is it happening? And if we're gonna understand this, We have to understand the paradox of the Christian faith and there are paradoxes all around us and a a paradox can be something that just, an idea that contradicts itself, something that just doesn't seem to make sense and one example I found of this, there's a book that came out about 10 years ago, it's a book called Rare Earth and it's a book that looks at the specifics of what is it about our planet, the, the earth, that makes it such an amazing place that inhabits life, it supports life, it's different than any other and they had, they had thing after thing after thing that they'd identified as factors that make it so, that set the earth apart so we can be there. One of those, one of the more surprising ones is this idea of tectonic plates. Everybody say tectonic plates, right? Remember those things you learn about in fourth grade in geography class, right? It's amazing how, and we don't really think about it, but they're an essential aspect of what it means to have life here on Earth, Earth is one of the only planets in our solar system that even has mountain ranges. We, other, other planets have mountains, but they're more individualized. The fact that these plates, they move around, they collide, they, they change the elevation, they make it so that the Earth is able to inhabit life because they provide land for us to live on. No other planet has that. If we didn't have these shifting plates, we wouldn't have confiden- con- continents, we wouldn't have places for us to live. In other words, we could not have life if... God hadn't designed it with these plates, and yet with these plates, we also find, especially I noticed this when I lived in California, these little things called earthquakes. And if you've ever experienced one, you know that they're extremely terrifying. Mine was only one second long, and that was all I needed to understand that uh, I don't like earthquakes. I'm not sure I would take on a tornado over an earthquake, but uh, right. But there's this paradox here: this thing that gives us life also has the power to destroy it. There's a paradox. We need them, and yet they hurt us. And Christian faith is also like that, a paradox. right? In one hand, we have this God who desires for us to do anything but to suffer. And yet at the same time, we're faced with this reality, we live in this tension that suffering is all around us. And so we ask this question, is suffering part of God's will for our life? I would say, no, from the very beginning, God has created us as good people. 1 Timothy 2.4 talks about God wanting everybody to be saved. He loves everyone. John 3.16, we know that his heart is for the world and for it to exist. God doesn't want us to suffer, right? Listen to what Paul said, or uh, David says in Psalm 34. He says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Righteous people face many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue them. And as a father, I can personally attest this idea that even though children can drive a father crazy, you still love them. And the last thing that you want to ever experience is suffering. So, but does it happen anyway? The answer is yes. Nobody had an issue sharing during community time, as far as I could tell. There's plenty to talk about. And Paul goes on and he elaborates. He's had a tough time even as a missionary. 2 Corinthians, he says, we are pressed on every side by our troubles, but we're not crushed. He says we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And if you need any more proof that suffering exists, even Jesus suffered. That hit me like a ton of bricks this time around. Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachani. Translated, My God, my God, on the cross, he's saying this, Why have you forsaken me? See, I think sometimes as Christians, we think, Oh, we're immune to suffering, right? I gave my life to God. It's going to be awesome. And yet Jesus himself, our rabbi, the one that we're pattering and modeling and orienting our entire lives around, he suffered. And so why would it be any different for us? I had a professor in seminary who said, all you need to know about Jesus, all you need to know about God, you need to know by looking at the cross. And this week I've been looking at the cross and I've been saying, God, that doesn't help me answer this question. It doesn't give me an answer why suffering happens. But it does tell me why it doesn't happen, right? It tells me what the reason for suffering is not. It's not that God is some other place doing some other thing that's more important, right? It tells us that God is right here with us in spite of it. But this question remains unanswered. And we get this idea of deserved suffering. Suffering kind of has some different categories. There's deserved suffering. We understand this, right? If somebody doesn't wear their seatbelt, if They eat junk food all the time, right? We're going to understand what what happens to those kinds of people, right? There are are really challenging uh, times of deserved suffering, right? Uh, If you're a Cubs fan, I'm pretty sure you understand what deserves, right? If you're a Vikings fan, for crying out loud, you understand that, right? Right? I know I'm touching on a nerve there, right? But there's this cause and effect thing that happens. And so there's some suffering that makes sense. But what we don't understand is this undeserved suffering, the kind of stuff that just breaks your heart. Where does that come from? And I would have to answer that or begin to answer that with this idea that it's, it's wrapped up in love. God loves us enough to choose us, to let us choose our own way, right? God gives us this free will, this ability to choose him or to choose ourselves. Who are we going to trust in, right? This ability to choose life or to choose death. And the reality is, if we choose our own way often enough, the consequences of that are going to have profound impact on other people. Can you imagine if we left this service this morning and all of us just decided to make up our own traffic laws as we drove home? It'd be an interesting journey. Right? And if we're honest, a lot of the suffering in the world it comes from the decisions that we make. I think we're a part of that. Not all of it, and we can't explain all of it, but some would also say suffering comes because God wants to teach us something. And I think this is something you have to be really careful with. I do think there are times when God has things he wants us to learn or to experience. And I would point even to the nation of Israel. If you remember, we were going through God's story uh, in its entirety uh, a couple of years ago, right? The nation of Israel was sent into exile because they had chosen to leave God. And so he said, well, then this army's going to come and take you over and and that's if that's what it takes to humble you to get you back in my family, then so be it. But I I don't think that those things very often come from God. And yet there's this blessing that comes out of it. God chooses to use it. One of my favorite things about being a pastor is just hearing stories. I love being the connect here guy because people come back and talk to me and they share what's going on. And it's interesting, right? We have these high times in our story, these great things, but we also have these defining moments that happen. And I love hearing those. I would never wish for people to go through them over again, but I love what God does with it. And there are times when God uses these things to bring breakthrough in our life. And it seems that we use these times to grow. Richard Roar. he's a Franciscan monk. Uh, he's a renowned speaker and author and uh, theologian, and somebody asked him this question, how do, how do we grow? As Christians, how do we grow? And I loved his answer. He said, there are two major ways that we grow in Christ. One is prayer. The second is suffering. The reality is, most of us stink at prayer, right? And so we need some other way for God to get our attention. There's a tension in that. Even I'm not totally okay with the fact that it does this. Would I ever go into an ER and say to somebody that's suffering? Well, God's going to teach you something. If you ever think about saying that, don't say that, (laughs) okay? And this is why, this is important that we talk about this because one of our core values at Hope is this idea that following Jesus is a growing experience. And if we know anything about life, if we know anything about Jesus, there's a whole lot of things that are used to help us grow. And the challenge is that we live in a Christian culture that loves to skip over Good Friday in order to get to Easter Sunday, when in reality, Jesus invites us back into living on that holy Saturday, that time between the already, but not yet. Growth happens through pain. I think the Apostle Paul knew this as he's writing in uh, Romans chapter 5, and I've got the words on the screen here. Let's read this together, and I think it's really important. Let's read this together. Paul says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and our character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God begins to paint a picture there for us through Paul of what it looks like to grow from our suffering. Sometimes it helps us grow, but it's still inadequate. Sometimes things just happen. And uh, one of the pastors uh, at Ankeny, Scott Reigns came across. He has this book uh, that the author of this uh, had a quote that I felt like really summed this up. Because the truth is that suffering is just part of the world that we live in, right? Sometimes things just happen. It's not from God. It's not from anything else. I think sometimes things just happen. And this is something that this author, Jerry Sitzer, knows all about. Jerry has an incredible book on pain and suffering. Uh, It's called A Grace Disguise and I'd recommend it to anyone. Uh, And it's important to note that this author, as he's going through this, he's writing this book, he's lived through the pain and agony of, of tragic loss. He and his extended family were traveling in a couple cars on a road trip together and right in front of his eyes, in the flash of an instant, three generations of his family, his wife, his mom, And his oldest daughter, gone, because of a drunk driver, took out the first car. He was in the second one, right in front of his eye. And in his book, again, it's called A Grace Disguise, he reflects on all that's happened in his life and he comes to this stunning conclusion. And I thought it was important for us to look at this. But as I read this to you this morning, I want you to ask, where does this kind of faith even come from? Because I think he says something really interesting. He writes, I prefer to take my chances living in a universe which I get what I do not deserve. Yes, I know, he says, I know this means that I will suffer loss, as I already have, but it also means that I will receive mercy. Life will be tougher than it otherwise would have been, but it will also end up being far better. I will have to endure the bad I do not deserve, and I dread experiencing undeserved pain. But it is worth it to me if I can experience undeserved grace. You see, Sitzer understands this idea that despite suffering, God is still there. God is still with us, and he understands that God's grace is evident even in our suffering. But I think he also understands that sometimes it takes a long time to see it. We want this grace factor, right? but do we want the other part that comes with us? We have to be open to the alternative. If we get grace that we do not deserve, we also have to understand that that there are other things that will happen that we do not deserve. We can't have one without the other. Well, this whole idea of suffering and letting uh, God work through difficult circumstances is something that's not new to us as a congregation. In fact, I started thinking about people I could invite to share their story this morning. I thought of a lot of people Uh, But there's one family in in particular I'd like to invite up, and you guys can come on up. Everybody say hi to Freddie and Cindy Windsor. Hi, Freddie. (laughs) Hi, Cindy. They were brave enough to come sit in front of you all and share their story. I think that's on. We can just double check. All right. Uh, And I I had a few questions. I, I want you to hear their story. I didn't even really get a chance to meet them personally. They're... Their story started before I started here at Hope Des Moines, but as soon as I got here, I'd heard uh, in staff meetings we were praying for them, and I became a Facebook stalker because I was praying and wanted to know what God was doing and uh, doing those things. Hope that doesn't freak you out that I was tracking your progress on Facebook. Uh, we'll talk about that later, but um, but I just I, I wanted you to to have a chance to share with the rest of. Of our church family here, what you guys have been experiencing and what, what God's been doing in the midst of that, because I think that you have something to share with all of us. So, do one of you want to give us the timeline? Like, what, what's been your story, your circumstances uh, these last couple of years?
1: Uh, my name is Freddie Windsor. Um, I used to work at Callahan Middle School. This is my wife, Cindy. She works at Hyatt Middle School. Um, I, uh, prior to everything happening, um, I worked at Callahan, I was a coach. Um, You know, I was getting up early in the morning, going to play ball, working out on the weekends, riding my bike 30 miles. And then um, uh, 2012, at the end of May, I uh, experienced some um, just low energy. You know, I went to play basketball, and I just realized, like, you know, I felt sluggish. I came home that day, got ready for work, went to work, came home, started having a little cough, and... uh, that cough turned into uh, not being able to breathe, and so if it wasn't for my wife, because we know us guys don't like to go to the hospital, (laughs) um, I probably would not be here, but um, she's like, you need to go to hospital, I went to our family physician, he's like you know, I don't see anything wrong, he calls me back ten minutes later, sends me to uh, Methodist, and uh, they did an x-ray of my lungs and I had fluid in my lungs and so from there he says hey you need to go see a cardiologist, I go see a cardiologist cardiologist tells me you got heart failure and I'm like what? and he's like yeah you got heart failure so it's kinda mind-blowing to me so I come back a couple days, I do stress tests, I pass the stress test with flying colors they put me on a treadmill tried to kill me Um, didn't work (laughs) passed that with colors you know and guys, like, regardless, you got you got heart You're failure. AKG, yeah. Showing the many heart attacks. Yeah. So, um, they gave me meds um, for the summer, and I, you know, I felt fine. I was riding my bike, doing everything. And then once school started, um, I just got I just got really really sick. Like, couldn't keep my head up. Just really low energy. I'm sitting here trying to coach the girls' volleyball team. Um we're at Instead a, of reading a book yeah can, can I'm trying to um do science lessons. I'm trying to read chapters to kids. I couldn't even catch my breath to read a chapter to the kids um at the volleyball game, I was having these a uh, little attacks, and I was like, "What is this? like I just couldn't breathe and come find out I was having these like mini heart attacks, you know, hmm. and so uh you know, I come back home. I'm crying. I'm, I'm look at. You know, I pull up, and my wife's in the door waving hi. And I'm just like, got this crazy look on my face. All of a sudden, she looks at me. She's like, "What's wrong?" And I'm just like, "I can't do this anymore. Something's wrong." <laughs> and so, uh,
0: yeah. So, what did you guys do at that point?
1: Oh, we went back to the doctor, and uh, um, he took some stress off my heart. Gave me these. Uh, well, you were hospitalized. Right? Yeah, hospitalized, and you know, took some stress off my heart. <laughs>
0: Okay. Yeah, here. here you go.
1: <laughs> he took some stress off my heart, and, and, and that worked for a couple of days, and then, you know, it just happened again. All my numbers and all this stuff was just my levels were kept going up and up and up. Finally he was like, "Freddie, there's nothing else I can do for you." Hmm. And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "So um, you need to go to Iowa City or mail." And wow. so um, I go to mail the next morning in the ambulance, and while all this is happening, my beautiful wife here is nine months pregnant <laughs> so I'm like oh my gosh this is a lot going on so I get to Mayo and as I get to Mayo right when I get there I have these attacks like four of them back to back before the doctor even sees my paperwork so I'm in here I can't breathe you know the buttons right here next to the bed I can't even reach over to touch the bet- the button and so uh, my wife's running out in the hall help help and you know from that point, we went down to ICU. Um, I had to lay down in the bed for 13 days just flat. I couldn't sit up because they had put yeah. this, uh, what's it called? Balloon pump. Balloon pump in me. And uh, and
0: they eventually got to the point where they identified you needed a transplant. Right.
1: They? Well, they yeah. got to the point where they said, well, the balloon pump isn't working, so they put in a, a LVAD, which is a left ventricle uh, assist device. And I had this in here, and I had these tubes coming out the side of me running on batteries. And I'm like, so Iron just, Man.
0: It was just a nice day, then, you're saying? Just yeah, nice
1: day, uh, it, was, it was different. It was, uh, it, was it was very now, scary. Now, if
0: I, if I can ask you, Cindy, what, what are you experiencing in this whole thing? What are the feelings, what are the mm-hmm. thoughts that you're going through your head?
2: For me, it was just fear. It was a lot of fear, because we didn't know financially if things were being covered, because it happened so quickly, like the ambulance ride. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the baby. When we got there, they told him that he didn't have weeks to live. They said, "You have days to live. Mm. Like we need to move forward with this LVAD surgery. Um, I'm I have five weeks left, mm. so I'm supposed to be so I'm driving home every week to do my prenatal appointments and then rushing back up to be with him and I'm trying to figure out the paperwork for right. insurance. But I don't want to miss the doctors when they come through for their rounds. So there was a lot of stress. And then of course I teach, so I'm thinking about my classroom back home and right. there's just a lot of stuff because it was happening so quickly and. Um, hmm. So for me, it was just a lot of fear and the unknown and um, even seeing him cry a lot, like that was really hard for me to see him be so emotional. Like the night before he went into his LVAD surgery, he got really emotional. He said, Cindy, I'm not, I'm not ready to die, but if God's going to take me, I know he's going to take me. Like mm-hmm. this, isn't, this isn't up to us, you know? So I think there was always that, I mean, it got to be that scary for us. So we didn't, I think for me, like I remember like living in the hospital, I was sleeping on the cot next to him while I'm pregnant and I would go to the bathroom down the hall to shower and... I would just cry in the shower, like, please don't let me raise the baby by myself, you Yeah, I got really fearful, like, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, so a challenging time. Obviously, you're sitting here with us today, and you don't, I don't see any cords coming out of you or anything, no. right? A transplant.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it seems like you were drugged through this time, this season. I, I would call it suffering. I assume maybe mm-hmm. you would. I mean, I know that's kind of a big, a big term, but... Uh, you're here. As we were talking on the phone, I heard you say, "I mean, God, God did this, right?" Tell us just a little bit. Neither one of you answer this, but I mean, what is the impact on your relationship with God, having been on this roller coaster ride that you've been on these last couple of years?
2: Yeah, if you want to speak, Go ahead. Um, I think definitely your faith has just increased so much. You know, because in the middle of this too, they had to remove Freddie's heart and put it in an artificial heart because his heart had failed him. Then this past year, while we were waiting. So he was living there since October in the hospital. And then in November, his heart completely failed. They took out his heart and put in an artificial heart. Wow. And then his match came in January. So I think there's no way your faith can't increase. You, you can't do anything but turn to him when you're so broken and when you're so stressed. So for me, it just increased my faith and it increased um, just that I know he's going to take care of us. Regardless what happens, I know that, that he's already had a plan for our life. Hmm. So I think that my faith just increased and leaning onto the church that's like what I think you were saying at the beginning about turn to people if you need yeah. help so I think that's where we got to that point where like we can't do this alone like so we right. called the pastor and we're like we need you guys to pray for us and they came and prayed with us like you just need to lean on people that are in your church and your community too yeah. Freddie what about your
1: faith um, definitely some suffering and I you know and just laying there in that bed I thought you know why this happened to me where'd this come from Why did God allow this to happen? And, you know, I just thought about it for a couple days, and then I said, you know what? God is good. Um, Apparently, he wants me to surrender to him. And when I say surrender, we all know that every day, all of us in here, sometimes we want to will ourselves. We say, ah, oh, and you know what? I'm going to do it this way. When there's that little voice in your head saying, um, let me will you. But we all say, oh, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to go this way. You know? And that's what God, God just allows things to happen in your life and He's trying to get your attention and He's trying to tell you, surrender. And when He says surrender, He says surrender fully. Let everything go. He says, accept it. And that's what I had to do. I said, you know what? I'm here. There's nothing I can do. Accept it and I, I just every day I prayed and I accepted everything that was going on and and I, and I prayed about it and I prayed about it and I prayed about it and it seemed the more I prayed and accepted what was going on and surrendered to God and I mean when I say surrender I was there for six months <laughs> and I was like I'm like you know there's that situation where you're like I need a heart but you don't want some other loved one to die so that you can let, I'm just like, I'm battling with that. And I'm just like, you know, like I said, God, it's it's your time, it's on your time. I just basically handed the steering wheel to him and let him steer my life. And I was just like, you know, I'm I'm surrendering to you. I've I've i I'm, I'm giving up, I'm I'm letting you have it. And from there, things just got better and better. And it seemed like my wife even started to get a little more upbeat and I mean she's crying every day and I'm just like Not every day oh every day, <laughs> every, awesome. day. Okay, every day awesome if I had a water meter I could have you <laughs> would have blown your mind
0: <laughs> let's give them a round of applause praise god for their story thank you guys thank you Well, it's one thing for a pastor to get up and tell you that God heals people. It's another for a healed man, a healed woman, I would say, internally, right, emotionally, spiritually, uh, to get up and tell you. And uh, just as as we wrap up today, uh, I want to close with a chance to worship, uh, because I think it's important that we understand that wherever you're at today, and maybe you're not suffering today, but maybe you walked in here this morning just thinking, God, I don't know if I can take another step. Right, God, I don't know if I can do one more day with these things that this world has been throwing at me. And you're asking this question, God, where are you? What's it all about? And so just to close, and before we sing this final song, I just, I just wanted to go back to Romans 8 and let these words sink into you today, this, this stuff that Paul, and again, as Paul is writing this, he's laying out this Christian faith as a man that's in jail, as a man that's been beaten and left for dead, that's faced challenges of every type. And this is what he says. He says, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And this verse, Romans eight twenty eight, it's one as Christians we throw around a lot. We feel the temptation because we, we think it helps in a moment of weakness for people to know it. And, and you have to be careful when you throw it out there. It's true. But timing is everything in this. And we know, it says, this is Paul writing, he says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called to according to his purpose. And a lot of times we stop at verse 28. Verse 29 is equally important because I think it begins to give us a sense of the why. Right? This is what Paul says. He says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to be like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among among many brothers and sisters. I was talking with Pastor Richard this week, one of the smartest guys I know. He was here a few weeks ago to talk, kind of kick off this sermon series. I thought, if I'm going to ask anybody, let me ask him. Like, what's the answer to this question? The smartest guy I know looks at me and he says, I have no idea. I said, thanks for the help. Real good. He said, I have no idea, Andy. The Bible doesn't get directly to it, but here's what the Bible does have for us. One, it gives us permission to wrestle, Right? Robin Williams, in that video clip, when he's letting God have it, in the Psalms, when David is letting God have it, saying, how long, God? Right? You could not be more biblical. It's okay. God can handle it. Amen? Amen. And it's a gift that he's given us. But the second thing is, we get this promise of what God's going to do through it and in it. And the last thing I want you to let, to let you know this morning is that we may let go. We may lose heart. We may slow down. But God never lets go. And that's why Paul can go on and he can say, can anything separate us from Christ's love? I am convinced that nothing can separate us, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell, anything that this world can throw at us can separate us from God's love. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ's love. Jesus can I get an amen amen Amen. let's stand and as we worship with this final song this morning I just encourage you to be honest tell God what's really going on worship him as the one who never lets go and if you're hurting this morning if you need help if you need extended family if you need healing there'll be prayer partners up here who would love to be available for you let's worship